John's still on vacation, so if you guys want to be praying for him for the next two weeks, that he can get the rest that he needs, both he and Nicole and the family. Uh, and last week we had the pleasure of hearing from Tyler, so thanks, bro, for uh, preaching on Acts 23 and the importance of a powerful witness. And this morning we will be looking at Acts chapters 24 and 25. We will be focusing on a missed opportunity, how Paul and his defense can constantly testified to the resurrection, and how God's providence and sovereignty were manifested in how Paul used his rights to obtain a fair trial. All right, so let's dig in, Acts 24. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and an attorney named Tertullius, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. After Paul had been summoned, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying to the governor, Since we have through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you any further, I beg you, grant to us by your kindness a brief hearing. For you have found this man a real pest, and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple, and then we arrested him. We wanted him we wanted to judge him according to our own law, but Lysias the commander came along, and with much violence took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. By examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the attack, asserting these things were so. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense, since you can take note of the fact that no more than twelve days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Neither in the temple nor in the synagogues nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot, nor can they prove to you the charges which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they called a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves, that there shall be certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. But there were some Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me, or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found me, that they found when I stood before the council, other than for this one statement which I shouted while standing among them. For the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody, and yet to have some freedom, and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. 
But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. So, first let us look at the setting of this trial. This is now the third time Paul is defending himself. If you miss the first two messages from Acts 22 and 23, they're available online. As we learned, Paul was falsely accused of preaching against the Jews, against the law of Moses, against the temple, and and he was accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple. Now Paul is standing trial before the governor, which is the appropriate place for a citizen to be tried. However, to be tried and convicted by the judicial system of that day, there must be a crime against the Roman Empire. None of the accusations brought against Paul were crimes against Rome. They were all religious crimes. And so the Jews accused Paul of stirring up dissension. If there would have been evidence of this, Paul would have been in really big trouble. Uh, This was because disturbing the peace against Rome was a capital offense. However, to be convicted, there must be evidence of a specific instance. And in this case, Paul was not accused of any specific disturbance. Instead, it was general accusations of disturbing the peace and of being a pest. God gave Paul wisdom to defend himself, just like Jesus promised in Matthew ten, eighteen through 20. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Paul defended himself by asserting that he was in Jerusalem to worship, and that he was not speaking to anyone about controversial matters while he was there, and that the people who initially accused him had actually abandoned the trial and were not there. He also asserted that the accusation of following Jesus was true. However, it was in accordance with Jewish hope and tradition that he followed Jesus and had a hope in the resurrection. At this point, Felix had multiple reasons to dismiss this case. None of the accusations against Paul had any evidence behind them, and Paul had evidence to the contrary on every point. And even more compelling was that than that was that Paul's accusers had dropped their case and were not present at the trial. Instead, the religious leaders were there. Now, Roman law at the time uh, did not favor anyone who abandoned a trial. Most cases, the case was immediately dismissed. Yet Felix did not dismiss this case directly. As we learned several weeks ago, there was great tension between the Jews and the Gentiles of that day. And this was especially true between the Jews and the Roman government. Felix was not known as a good governor. Uh, There were several uprisings that had occurred during his rule, which he had put down, and that caused great offense among the Jews. 
In fact, when Felix was removed and succeeded by Festus, it was because the Jews petitioned Rome for his removal that he was summoned. In view of this, it is safe to assume that Felix was afraid of men, and this was the reason he did not deal just with, with Paul. He was afraid of what would happen to him and the, of, the, uh, of Israel if there was another uprising because Paul was dismissed. But Felix also did not want to condemn Paul. He was hoping for some personal benefit from Paul. And here's our first point, one of the biggest missed opportunities of all Scripture. In verse 22, it says that Felix had more exact knowledge about Christianity and was interested in hearing what Paul had to say. He even had multiple private audiences with Paul, the first of which is recorded And it is said that Paul discussed righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. When Paul mentioned this, Felix became frightened and instructed Paul to stop, and that he would listen to him at another time concerning these matters. Interestingly enough, this is the same response that the philosophers in Acts 17 said when, when in Athens. They told Paul that we'll hear you again concerning these matters, although it's never recorded that they ever heard Paul again. And it's also into a similar attitude that Jesus spoke to some would-be disciples in Luke 9, 57 through 62. Jesus said, as they were going going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Curiosity about Jesus and about Christianity will never save anyone. It is not enough for you to to investigate who Jesus is. To be saved, you must commit your life to follow him and not look back. Matthew 25, 1 through 12, speaks on what will happen to those who are not prepared to meet Jesus when he comes again. says, the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. 
Later, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. A similar fate is in store for those who are curious but not committed to Jesus if they do not turn from their sin and commit their life to following him. Therefore, it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you do not know Christ as your Savior this morning, do not become like Felix. He knew the way of salvation, and Paul told him that it would require righteous living and self-control to escape the judgment to come. Yet he did not change his ways and follow Christ. Be reconciled to God through Jesus, who died and rose again to take the penalty of sin so that we might become his righteousness. And this is why Paul continually defended the resurrection, as we see he did in Acts 24 and we'll see in 25. Festus then, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea, and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me, and if there is anything wrong with, about the man, let them prosecute him. After he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and on the next day he took his seat on the tri- tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Now when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense Against the charges. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man brought before me. 
When the accuser stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss on how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and to stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I sent him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the contenders and the prominent men of the city, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with us, see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he, not, that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite to write about my Lord. Therefore I have brought him before you, and, all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. The resurrection was everything to Paul. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12-22. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. But if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins." Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in this life, hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Yeah, Paul was continually uh, speaking against the resurrection. He was speaking out about it during his trial. It was this that the Jews could not stand. Yet Paul had died a long time ago. Paul says in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, and 10 and 11, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul was convinced of the resurrection, and this was evident 
by his life and his confidence in all circumstances. This is also why he was on trial in Acts 5, 28-31. Paul and John were on trial before the Jewish leaders. And they, they said, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in the name of Jesus, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, that we, answered this, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted at his right hand, as a prince and a savior, to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. The Jewish leaders did not want to be associated with uh, Christ. They did not want to be associated with his death. They tried to do a cover-up. So anytime that the resurrection was preached, they were reminded of what they had done. It was like the wound kept on being opened, and they were furious. Over and over again, Paul would preach Christ in the synagogues, and some, peop- some people would accept the message of Jesus, but others would reject it. And those who rejected the message were always wanting to silence Paul. More and more, our own culture is starting to look this way. To preach Christ's death, res- burial, and resurrection, and the judgment to come is not a popular message. And in some places, even in our own country, it is beginning to to be considered as hate speech. Believers through the ages, with very few exceptions, have been considered pests by society, and many people have taken it upon themselves to silence the message of Christ. It should not be surprising to us when we are persecuted for this. Yet we are to trust, we're to trust our lives into the hands of the faithful God who works all circumstances together for our good. Which brings us to our final area of consideration, God's providence and sovereignty and Paul's use of his rights as a Roman citizen to obtain a fair trial. And the band can come up. After being in prison for two years, there was a power change. Felix was recalled to Rome, and Festus was appointed as governor. The Jews, the Jews were permanently were. The Jews were bent on permanently silencing Paul. But Festus was a good governor, as opposed to Felix, who was not good. And immediately he saw to Paul's case. Uh, this case had been in limbo for over two years while Paul sat in prison. When Paul stood before Festus, he declared his innocence. But yet he was also willing to suffer any consequences for any wrong he would have done, even up to death. As Festus was new, and the political scene was very heated, he tried to do something favorable for the Jews, but yet he was not willing that justice would be completely overrun to do it. When Paul appealed to Caesar, it kind of let Festus off the hook, and Festus had a way out that would also be appealing to the Jews. Uh, as As a Roman citizen, Paul had a right to appeal for the emperor's decision, And so he did. Now God's fingerprints are all over this, as they have been for the last few chapters in Acts. Paul was born a Roman citizen. Nothing Paul did earned him this. 
And yet God has used it multiple times to further his kingdom through Paul. We don't get to choose our parents or our country of origin or our ethnic group. That's in God's hands. And we should trust him that he has a plan for us. He has a plan for all of us who trust in Jesus. That we were born to the right family. That we were born in the right country. That we were born in the right ethnic group. For God's glory to be shown through our lives. God was in control over the men who were in power over Paul and his trials. Felix was given a chance to hear the gospel. And then God provided a change in power in Festus that allowed Paul to go to Rome. God had promised this to Paul in Acts 23. Most of history, people did not have a say in how they were governed and the people who were in power. We are extremely blessed in our country in that we have a say in how we are governed. We should make the most of this blessing and seek to elect God-fearing men and women to office. But yet, we should always trust God and not lose hope in Christ when the leaders that are appointed are against God. And we should trust that God that he is still at work even in the midst of those leaders and pray for their salvation. Now, God also provided Paul with an all-expense-paid trip to Rome. It took over two years for God's promise in Acts 23 to come true for Paul. And so Paul had to trust God's timing and to be patient as he sat in prison, not being able to leave. But yet God was true to his promise, and he provided a way at the right time. God will provide a way for his work to be done. And we need to trust him that his work will be completed, that he is faithful to what he says. Yet Paul also didn't sit idly by and let God do everything. When, just as John preached earlier this year, Paul was a moving target. And when God opened a door, Paul seized the opportunity and acted. Paul chose to appeal to Caesar. He didn't have to appeal to Caesar. He could have went to Jerusalem and stood trial and tried to prove that he was right. But God opened this door. Paul took it, and it worked out wonderfully. Most of, our, most of the epistles were actually written while Paul was in prison in Rome which may have not been the case if Paul didn't appeal to Caesar. We must be a people who deeply trust the sovereignty of God and believe that he will work all things together for our good. Yet we must not allow ourselves to become idle, and we must always seek to be a part of what God's doing, both in our city and in the world, trusting him to open or close the doors as he sees fit and as we step forward in faith. This brings us to a close. To recap, as we see God's sovereignty and providence in the life of Paul, we must remember to trust that God is working in our circumstances, out for good, and his glory, and his plan in the earth. We must remember the resurrection and our hope, and not shrink back when given an opportunity to share about this hope that we have. And most importantly, We need to not let the opportunity to choose Jesus slip away. If you are here this morning and have not committed your life to Christ, I urge you, be reconciled to God. It is your only hope for all of eternity. Obtain the forgiveness of your sin. 
Choose the path of life. Do not harden your heart. Do not become like Felix. If you're needing prayer this morning, ask your neighbor to pray for you. And feel free to go around the room and pray for one another this morning. Father, thank you for your word. I ask that you would you would move.